welcome to another edition of Making Money. It's all about what the financial coach can do to steer you in the right direction. His name is Ron Hebert, a retired portfolio manager. He looked after people's money for better part of four decades. I'm Gord Whitehead, known Ron almost that long. We like to talk about finance and investing. Let's talk about inheritances, Ron. If you should be fortunate enough to, to have something come your way, that somebody in your family has maybe built up a little bit of wealth and they pass on to the great beyond and they say, I'm going to designate this to go to Bob over there. What's the best plan if you inherit? Well, first of all, putting it in context, Gord, the intergenerational transfer of wealth that we are going through, in other words, from the silent generation and the baby boomers on to the millennials and Generation Z, or Z is literally the biggest transfer of wealth in the history of the world ever, ever. And research has shown that 50% of inheritances never make it past second generation. In other words, if you've made the money and you pass it on to junior, that's it. The money all gets spent there, and only 10% of that ever makes it to the third generation. So if you're on the receiving end of that money, and we're talking specifically about inheritances here, but let's say you win a lottery or, you know, you 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 find something, uh, an heirloom in your basement that's worth millions, well, a lot of the same rules apply. And so what we're going to try and do today is that if you're on the receiving end of receiving a big chunk of cash, we're going to give you some financial tips so make sure that you don't become one of these statistics where most of the money just gets squandered. You know, I think about, you mentioned the lottery win, Ron. I did, everybody's had that conversation with friends. You're sitting around having a beer or something, and you know, what would you do if you won $40 million? And I get asked that question. I said, well, the first thing I would do is nothing. <laughs> I would back the heck away for a while, find myself someplace to lay low, and make a plan, right? Those are the two biggest things that you have to you have to consider is that so many people if they if they win big in Las Vegas or that third uncle uh, comes through and with the big inheritance or even parents because it's surprising how many kids the parents who've had wealth have been very tight lipped about it and not tried to spoil their kids by letting them know you're going to receive a big amount of money. Uh, when we finally pass away, because then often you'll have the kids sit there and twiddle their thumbs for 20 or 30 years and be nonproductive waiting for the big cash payoff. So often parents don't even tell their kids how much they're going to inherit. And I've sat in many, many boardrooms where kids are absolutely gobsmacked when they find out how big their inheritance is going to be because they just didn't know. And so emotions immediately start taking off and everybody starts thinking about all the things that they want to buy. And of course, they start thinking about retail therapy. So they start thinking about trips. They start thinking about uh, depreciating assets like a, a $40,000, yeah, Bo Stereo, a, a, an $800,000 LaFerrari. And the list goes on and on. And so you've got to let those emotions settle down and don't do anything. Don't spend any money and let it sink in that this is going to be your chance to set yourself up for life. In other words, if you do it right and you don't screw it up, 
this could be your chance to set up your retirement, to be able to retire early and do all those things. And of course, as you said, it takes developing a savings plan and a good place to start there is with a, a, a financial planner. They'll give you non-biased advice because they don't get paid uh, selling uh, financial products. So if you go with a, a, a fee-for-service financial planner rather than a financial planner who sells products, they're just going to give you a good map of what you should be doing going forward. And, of course, um, you know, I've taught investment courses for, for well over 30 years and you want to take an investment course. You want to read some good financial planning books, you know, and studies of lottery winners and inheritance and people that inherit money show little change in their wealth over time. In other words, they get a pile of money and then they squander it all because they really don't uh, become any smarter about their finances. And so don't be one of them. And as you said, you want to take the time to figure out how to get educated and to develop a plan first before you start throwing money around and you should keep it quiet too shouldn't you get you know a tight lip and all that kind of stuff i think we've all uh, know someone who inherited a, uh, a great deal of money and you have salesmen you have charities you've got promoters and worse you get relatives and they'll be hounding you to get in on the action and it's easy to blow off uh, someone who's an, a promoter or a salesman. But let me tell you, you've got a relative that comes to you with some crazy idea that they want you to invest in. And it's very, very hard because it involves hurt feelings and the people you're going to be around all the time to turn them down. And, you know, research shows when recipients make inheritances public, they spend a lot more money on crazy stuff. So keep it quiet. Don't even tell your friends, especially your relatives, because until you've got your plan made up, they're going to be hounding you. But when you've got your plan made up, you can just look at them and say, no, I've got priorities and I'm going to be dealing with this stuff first. So keep it quiet. Best advice you could possibly give. I, anecdotally, Ron, I, and I've held on to this belief since I was a youngster because we had neighbors, and, and I'm dating myself here, but what the heck. Uh, remember the Irish sweepstakes? Yes. Uh, we didn't have gambling in Canada, and we didn't have lotteries. We had neighbors in our uh, lived across the back lane from us in Winnipeg. He was a firefighter, and they had a $2 Irish sweepstakes ticket. I still remember they won $186,000, which back in the 50s was a fortune. They both ended up institutionalized because people drove them crazy. Once they let people oh, know, that, then it, the, all bets were off, right? So, yeah, keep it quiet. Just don't let anybody know what, what's happening in your life in that regard. And to put that in perspective, back in the late 50s, you could buy a house in Edmonton, for example, a real nice house for ten grand. Yeah. So if you got 180000 that's... 18 times what a house would be worth. So fast forward to today and take the average house in Edmonton, let's say it's $400,000. You multiply that by 18, and that would be the size of the inheritance uh, or the lottery winning that you would have got. So, so about 7.2 million? That's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of money. So the other thing is, too, here, I think importantly, if you have debt, get rid of it first, right? 
Get that off the off the balance sheet. And and the the way to do that, Gord, is just to start with uh, make a list of all your debts, and depending on how much you inherit it, start with the highest interest paying debts. Usually, it's uh, uh, credit card debt and uh, credit cards that are issued by uh, retail. So pay off those debts first, and then work your way down the list. Probably the next in line after you pay off your credit cards uh, might be uh, your mortgage or some car debt. Uh, pay it all down until you've, you've started with the highest debt and you've worked your way down to the lowest, and hopefully your inheritance is bigger, big enough so that you're able to wipe out all this debt. Now, if you have been able to do that, wipe off all your debt, promise yourself, promise yourself to invest the money that you spent each month on interest payments and take that money and put it in savings. So not only have you paid off your debt, but now you're setting up a habit where the interest payments that you would have made, that money is going to go into savings each month. And if you're, if you're carrying credit card debt, it's what, north of 20% in most instances now. That's a lot of money. So if you had $10,000 in debt, you're, you're 20%, you're paying 2000 bucks a year at interest, let's say, just for general terms. Stick that money away, right? That's what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. And so people often came in to see me and said, where can I get a, a really good return on you, my money? And I would look to them, and they were carrying with various credit cards, Thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, and I said, "Well, look. If you want to make twenty percent of your on your money guaranteed, guaranteed, no risk. Just pay off your debt." Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so yeah, you start with a low hanging fruit, and the low hanging fruit, when you've got uh, an inheritance, is pay off your debt. Okay, so we've t- we've cleared the books. Now we've got this money, and we're saying, okay, now what do I do? Well, there are vehicles out there that we've had access to for a long time, like RSPs and TFSAs and education savings plans. Do we start putting money into those to get them beefed up a little bit? The average person is behind on their contributions to RSPs, RESPs, educational savings plans, and tax-free savings accounts. So it's a good opportunity, once you've paid off all your debt, is to top up your RRSPs, your RESPs, your TFSAs, and many of them have carry-forward. So it, you can go back, and you'll, in many cases, I've seen people with $100,000 plus of RSP room that they never could take advantage of. So you know, it's a good time to start topping up uh, these various these various accounts. And it, a good rule, savings rule of thumb is at age 55, your savings should be about seven times your annual income, four times annual income at 45, and two times annual income at 35. So start with uh, things that will, you can put money away where it'll grow on a tax-free basis. And uh, RRSPs, RESPs, and TFSAs not only allow you to take care of yourself, but the RESP allows you to start taking care of the next generation and ensure that they get their education. We touched on this in the past, and I remember having this conversation when I was still working, and, and my employer had a sto- an employee stock purchase plan. And I used to tell the younger people that I worked with, look, it's sitting there. <laughs> That's where you should be putting your money. You buy four shares, they give you one, or something like that, something akin to that. Is that a good idea, too? 
And of course, unless you're with a highly risky company, um, if, if, uh, in some cases, if you put up a dollar, you'll get it matched by another dollar. And, and frankly, where else can you go where if you put up a dollar and your employer puts up a dollar, that stock literally has to go down 50% before you start losing money. That sounds like a pretty good arrangement to me. So if you've got plans at work where your employer will match or add funds to your contribution for buying stocks or for um, your RRSP or you've got a, a profit sharing plan, uh, this gives you the most bang for your buck. So start looking at those opportunities as well because it magnifies how much you can save. So if you're a homeowner and you've made this inheritance, uh, maybe you've always wanted to put that sun deck on the back of the house. Well, it, it's not necessarily to increase the value of your home, although it likely would. It's also just to, to make creature comforts, right? To make your life more enjoyable. And that's why it appears as number 10 on the list and not number one. You know, obviously, if you've got a huge hole in the, in the roof and it's leaking and destroying the value of your house, well, yeah, you want to attend to that. But doing additions and repairs on your house, I have as number 10 because I think you should be doing these nine things that uh, are previous to it first before you get here. But doing additions or repairs on your house can certainly add value to the house. And often it's just the cosmetic things like fixing up the lawn, giving it a, a, a uh, paint, uh, fixing the leaky shower, those things really add a lot of value to your place. We touched on vehicles, not necessarily a good thing to do. <laughs> no, and, and of course, if you've done all these other things and you've got some cash left over, uh, you know, you can reward yourself. But don't forget, vehicles are a depreciating assets. So if you buy a vehicle, the day you drive it off the lot, it starts depreciating from there. And unless you happen to buy something that years down the road becomes a collector car, these things depreciate themselves uh, to, to zero over time. So anything you spend today in the future is going to be worth virtually nothing. So vehicles are not an investment. They're like buying a washing machine. And obviously, if you want to buy something that gives you a little more thrill, um, go ahead and do it because you've got the money to do so. And so that just ties in with number 12, which is along the way, spend a little on yourself, go on a trip, take up a hobby, buy a car. You need to enjoy the present as well as the future. And so, you know, if you follow these 12 steps that we just talked about here, it'll allow you to take that inheritance and you'll set yourself up for life. It's a considerable size, but it's going to take some time some work, and some management. But if you do so, uh, literally, you can take the financial pressures off your shoulder for the rest of your life. Back to the collector car thing. I've had this conversation with friends. I've been a car enthusiast all my life, and I'd love to be in that. But I, I get the feeling that we've reached peak accountability there, and, and all the really good cars are already in collections. So if you want to get your hands on one, it's going to cost you a fortune, and I'm not sure that it's really worth the effort. I, I don't know anymore. What's your, what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, uh, last time uh, I went to a car show and there was probably two, three hundred cars there. And most of them were early muscle cars, you know, uh, the stuff that Dodge and, and, uh, and uh, Chevy and, and Ford were putting out. And they were all 
you know, you'd, you'd have a car, you'd, you'd, the guy would put a little uh, note of what he'd done to the car, the year, the make, and so on. But there's always somebody sitting in a chair having a cup of coffee, so you can come up and talk to these guys about their paint job and, and, and how they did it. But they were all, all of them, were in their late 60s, 70s. There, were, there weren't a lot of young people there. You know, there's a couple yeah. of young people to look at. So, I mean, if you've got yourself uh, a, a vintage uh, Corvette, you know, a split window or something like that, that, you know, is worth hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. The generation that is buying this stuff is starting to pass away and sell uh, their assets. And that money is going to the kids. And you know what? Millennials and Generation Z aren't interested in a 1960s muscle car. Um, they, they, want an, they want an electric car. <laughs> they want an electric car. Frankly, uh, they'll spend the money on Uber or whatever. So who's going to buy these things five, ten years from now? If, if I had a really good car collection and I wanted to monetize it, I think now's the time to do it while you still can because I would – and just about everybody I talk to has grave reservations about how much some of these cars are going to be worth, especially these specific era cars like the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which were the heyday of the muscle car, you know, what they're going to be worth 10 years down the road. I don't, uh, I have big doubts whether they're going to be worth even a fraction of what they're worth today. And if you could afford if gasoline's still around, they don't. They aren't exactly economical. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and that's no. a that's a good lead into where we want to go next next time around on making money, Ron. We want to talk about about ESG, um, and we've we've touched on it briefly, but we're going to flesh it out. The markets are changing because of the younger generation and the things that they're expecting investments to represent. So we'll drill down on that next week. If you have a question about this show or any other shows, remember you can reach us through our website at letsmakemoney.ca. Ron will be happy to address them. And uh, you can also reach us through cfcw.com. Join us next week as we take a look at ESG trends and the stock market on Making Money. On behalf of Ron Hebert, the financial coach, I'm Gord Whitehead. Thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.